about us. For we have been rescued from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have what? Redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Continuing on, verse number 69, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved, you see, saved again, salvation, now it's saved, from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Oh, the people of Israel. They have three great patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Abraham was the beginner of it all. He's the one to whom the covenant came. And the great promises to Abraham that in you all nations shall be blessed. I want to tell you today that it's not just natural born Israelites who have come to know the Messiah, who call Abraham their father, but every believing person in the world now calls Abraham their father, the father of all who believe. Believing Jews, believing Gentiles, we all say Abraham is our father. That's why the little Baptist children go, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Let's continue. That we being delivered which is another word for salvation, from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. Don't miss that. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. This child is John the Baptist now. We've been reading about Jesus. Now we're reading about John the Baptist. And you, John the Baptist, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people. Who are his people? I'm going to tell you what happened 40 days after Jesus Christ was born. 40 days after. That would be just like coming up in the beginning of March or so. 40 days after he was born, Mary and Joseph took Jesus into the temple to sacrifice according to the law of the Lord. They were poor, so all they could sacrifice was two pigeons or two turtle doves. They're going to sacrifice two turtle doves, one for a burnt offering, one for a sin offering uh, for this child. When they come into the temple gates, there's a man waiting for them, Simeon. Simeon has been waiting for the redemption of Israel. He sees them coming up the steps into the, into the, in the court of women. He takes the child. Mary must trust him somehow. She puts the child in his arms and he holds the child in his hands. He's looking at the face of this 40-day-old baby and he goes, Sovereign Lord, dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have beheld your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all peoples, a light for the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. Simeon is holding this baby in his hands. And in this person, in this child, he sees salvation. Because the salvation is in a person. And that person is Jesus. And that salvation is for all peoples. This message is here for us today. The salvation message is for us. It continues in verse number 77, in the forgiveness of their sins. For we have been rescued from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This message is for us. 
because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace, rescued from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his beloved son, the kingdom of goodness and light, into his marvelous light. Isaiah said, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you, and the nations will stream to your light and kings to the brightness of your glory. You see what's happening to Israel? The gates are opening, and the nations are coming in. They're coming to the light. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. The title of this message is So Great a Salvation. Gabriel, the Christmas story, Gabriel, he comes to the Virgin Mary. He tells her that the Holy Spirit will be upon you, and the one that's conceived in you will be from the Holy Spirit. And he's the Son of God. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Why did Gabriel have her name him Jesus? What does the name Jesus even mean? Jesus is the uh, Greek way of, of saying Yeshua. What does it mean? Jesus means, literally, God saves. Or, another way to say it is, the Lord is salvation. That's what Yeshua means. The Lord is salvation. God saves. But I ask the question to all of you here today, but I ask, what are we saved from? What is this salvation from? What are we saved from? We know that we're saved from the evil one, but I want to give you three categories by which we're going to look at this uh, portion of Scripture, and then I believe it will help us as we read through Scripture from beginning to end, from uh, Genesis to Revelation. Three things. Saved from what? Saved from sin. Salvation from sin. Two, Saved from the body of death. Three, saved or rescued from the domain of darkness. One, starting with the first, sin. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and he said to him, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, for what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. When he's born, you shall call his name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Number one, salvation from our sins. Look in verse number uh, 77 and what you just read. Do you see it? Chapter 1, verse 77. Look at your scripture. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Now this is really good news. 30 years ago, a young woman walked away from her family. And she left behind two small boys. Years passed, and this young woman was riddled with guilt. And the guilt was eating her up and destroying her body. Somewhere along the line in those 25 years, she was able to turn to the Lord, or turn back to the Lord, and cry out for forgiveness. She had a measure of peace in finding forgiveness from the Lord. But for 25 years after this lady had left her children, letters that she had sent to her two sons 
were never returned. Phone calls were unanswered. At times, this young woman, who was getting older, would get suicidal, but she couldn't commit suicide because she knew she was a Christian, she knew that she was with the Lord, and so she suffered. She was forgiven by God, and she was grateful, but her mother's love was very deep, her awakened mother's love. Twenty-five years had passed, and finally her older son, moved by God, I am sure, took a long trip and traveled 2,000 miles to drive out to see his mother. He was going to visit her for only one day. And on that day, he met with his mom. And for the first time in 25 years, this mother was enabled to pour out her grief to her son over and over again, asking for forgiveness. Her son offered it to her. The son decided to take take another day to spend another day with his mother. And he did. And she tried to, again, the second day, pour out her grief. And he said to her, Mom, I forgive you. Let's not talk about the past anymore. The two of them had reconciliation. They had peace. And for five years, two or three times a week, these two would talk to each other, a mother and a son. I mentioned this story because of the blessedness of of having your sins forgiven, because what a burden sin is. I mentioned this one in that form because it would have been nice just to hear that this young woman, in crying out to God for forgiveness, found it, but she still had tremendous grief. Why do I say that? Because it's good for us to remember what the Word of God says when it comes to forgiveness. Forgive as you have been forgiven. People all around us need forgiveness. We probably have people we ourselves should offer forgiveness to. What a burden sin is, but thanks be to God for the cross. You don't have to carry those burdens anymore. The Bible says that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Bible says that he bore our sins in his body while he was hanging on the tree. The Bible says that as far as from the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions. From us. The Bible says that we have been forgiven on account of his name, and his name is Jesus, and his name means God saves. The Lord is salvation. Jesus has saved us from our sins to the body of death. Would you notice in verse number 71, verse number 74, 71, we see that there is more going on here than just being saved from your sins. We have also been saved from our enemies is what it says in verse number 71. And 74 says that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies. I'm going to present two enemies to you. One is your flesh. Your flesh that wars against you of who you are now as a new creation in Christ, led by the Spirit, if you're walking by faith. Your body wars against you. In Romans 7, Paul, as a younger man, talks about his life when he was a slave of sin. Paul, when he was Saul, was a slave of sin. And here's what he said. The things I hate to do, those are the things I do. The things that I want to do, I can't do them. He says, I don't even have the ability to do the things that I want to do. Now take that in. This is a, this is a religious Jew, a Jew of Jews, And he is saying his old self, 
which was under the law. I'm a slave. I can't do what I want to do, and the things I hate to do, those are the things I keep doing. Who will save me from this body of death? Do you see it again? Who will save me? Who will deliver me? Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That was the old Paul. Those of you that read Romans 7 and you use that to, in your own mind, justify continuing to sin, I appeal to you, don't look at Romans 7 that way. Look at the full passage as Paul unfolded that discussion and that argument. I want to tell you what happened to the new Paul. The old Paul was put to death. Here's how Paul puts it. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The old man, the slave of sin, was put to death. He was rescued. He was united with Jesus Christ. He was crucified with Jesus. But it wasn't just Paul. You want to understand Romans 7? You got to look at Romans 6. Here's what Paul says, and now he's addressing you, not himself. He said, I've been crucified. Here's what he addresses to all of us here. This so great a salvation. All of us in here. There are none that are exempt. None of us. Here is what he says to all of us. Don't you realize that you died with him? That you were crucified with Jesus? That you were buried with him in baptism? Don't you realize that you have been raised with him and you are now united with him? And by the way, the Greek word there, when it comes to united with him, is grafted in. You are grafted into Jesus. That's the kind of union we're talking about. This is a dynamic union. Your very life is united. It's grafted into Jesus Christ. And you have been raised with him to a new life. And then Paul says, on the basis of who you are as one who is new in Christ, walk in that newness of life. And then he gives you this question. How can you continue in sin anymore? That's the new Paul. That's the new you. New creation in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And then walk in holiness. Look at verse number 75. This is what Zechariah is so, probably so incredibly joyful about. So that we may serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. In our confession time today, we found that when we put our faith in Jesus, we were more than just forgiven, as great as that is, and the peace that we have because we're forgiven. But the Bible says that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Not just part of your sin. Some of it's still left. He got most of it, but some of it's still left. No, 
He cleansed us from all sin and that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Your body has become the temple of the Holy Spirit and like the temple of long ago that was, was cleansed by the blood of the sacrificial animals so that the Holy Spirit of God could then enter in, your body is a temple. It has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ so that someone could enter in, God Himself into the temple of your body. It's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ, the Holy One of Israel, has come into your body. You have, by virtue of having the Holy One in you, you you yourself have become holy. You are a Holy One. You are a saint. That's what the Bible says. You are addressed over and over again in the Greek as hagioi. Hagioi can be translated saints or holy ones. That's why you can see in different translations of your Bible, sometimes it's translated as holy ones. Sometimes it's translated as saints. But that's what you are. That's your identity in Christ. Walk in holiness. Walk in love. Walk in the light. We're talking about darkness here? Once you were darkness, that's what you were. You sinned, you did deeds of darkness. It's because you were dark. You were darkness. It was your nature. That's why you sin. That's why you do deeds of darkness. But the Bible says, but now you are light in the Lord. You're in Christ, and Christ is in you. You are light in the Lord. So walk. As children of light. You've been saved by Jesus from the body of death. Finally, three, the domain of darkness. You've been rescued from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. You have been brought into his marvelous light. You are children of light, and now you've been rescued from the domain of darkness, the realm of darkness. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, we know that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one, the prince of the world, the prince of darkness, the Antichrist. And this world is under Satan's value system. Ungodly, unholy, unloving, proud, egotistical, self-centered, polluted, sensual, sexually immoral, greedy, money-hungry, power-hungry, anxious, angry, envious, divided, idolatrous, Instead of glorying in God, it glories in its own shame, loves the deeds of darkness, and hates the light. And you have been saved from that. You have been rescued from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, into his marvelous light. Brothers and sisters, you're kingdom people now. That's who you are. You are citizens of God's kingdom. But do you and do I live by that value system of the kingdom? We are people of light now. The value system of the kingdom is goodness and life, light. We live a life of love and holiness. We live a life of holiness and love. We call it holy love. We have come out from this world even though we're in it. We're not of it. We have come out from them and we are separate. That's what it says in verse number 75. So that we can serve him in holiness and righteousness all our days. 
Brothers and sisters, as kingdom people, we live a life of humble service. We are others-minded. We bring healing and justice and beauty into our community. We heal up the brokenhearted. We look after widows and orphans in their distress. We set the captives free. We give liberty to those who are captive to so many things. We are repairers of streets with dwellings, streets that have burned out houses. You can take that literally. Streets that have potholes, streets that have burned out houses, burned out buildings, burned out parks. We are stewards of God's good creation. And in Christ's love, we preach the gospel of, uh, of peace. The gospel of peace. We preach good news to the poor, reconciling poor lost sinners to God, bringing them to God through the gospel. And while we do so, we remember that but for the grace of God, we would be in that category of those who are in the domain of, of darkness. It is all God's grace that we are in here today as saints and as holy ones. It's God's work. And if he wasn't merciful to us, we'd still be in the domain of darkness. We have to remember that. We have to continue to reach out as kingdom people, helping people to be reconciled to God, sharing the gospel of grace, the gospel of peace. And with the same gospel of peace, we work to reconcile people to one another, bringing people that normally are divided But in Christ, we come together in unity through Christ and through his cross. We live out that unity on display in the church, the church that gathers to worship just as we are today, a church that knows how to fear the Lord because he is our God and he is our creator. And we adore him because he loves us and the son loves us. As kingdom people, we glorify him In all that we say, think, and do, we are kingdom people. And we live by the kingdom value system. Pastor, you might be saying, if you haven't dozed off a little bit on all that, that's so visionary. That's so visionary. Can't you give us some practical examples, some practical applications? How do we live this out as kingdom people? Yeah, I'll give you a couple. Before I give you a couple of examples of how to live as a kingdom person, I want to tell you the obvious, and that is preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God needs kingdom people. Unless people meet Jesus Christ, they're going to remain in darkness. The gospel saves people from the sins, but it also brings them into the kingdom. We have to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when they become kingdom people, they begin to think kingdomly. And that's what we're trying to do right now with the rest of this message, is to think now, as saved people who are part of the kingdom, to think kingdomly. I know you want to have a couple of examples, or maybe many. I want to tell you, when it comes to doing something like this, why I was cautious is because kingdom examples are limitless. But I'm going to give you two. And they both have to do with the church. One is this church, Beacon Light, and another one is Gethsemane Missionary Baptist Church in almost downtown Gary at 11th and Jackson. Okay, let's start with um, Gethsemane Missionary Baptist Church. A few weeks ago, Pastor Curtis, the, the pastor of Gethsemane Missionary Baptist Church, he's my friend, he's a pastor, and he asked me to come and, and uh, 
come to the worship service for his eight-year anniversary as a pastor. And I said, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll plan on being there. And so I went there. I accepted his invitation. I went to Gethsemane Missionary Baptist Church. The church was pretty full at that time. I arrived there just before the service started. I did that on purpose because I didn't want anybody making any uh, to-do things about me, you know, uh, much ado. So I came in the door, and I sat in the back immediately in a church. It was pretty full at the time. Then it really got full a little bit later. But Pastor Curtis was having nothing to do with that. Sure enough, John, what are you doing back there? <laughs> come on, come on, come on up to the front. This wasn't planned. So I hear now I'm sitting in the front pew right in front of these praise bands, and they've got several praise teams. They've got these dignified pastors all up in the front. They've got one of the councilmen from the city of Gary, and here's this one white guy. Come on. And I can. Dignified speakers and, and preachers who can preach it way more dynamically than I can were done. The oldest preacher sitting in the front, the most dignified guy, made a little signal to Pastor Curtis and then made a signal toward me, making sure that I had a chance to get up to talk. And this was not planned. I was not on the agenda. And Pastor Curtis said, Pastor John, would you come up and share a word? And I did. It was not planned. I had nothing prepared. And the message was short. It was a kingdom thing. He knew it, and so did I, and so did every single person that was in there. This was a kingdom moment. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. Something more beautiful happened, from my opinion. In the middle of that service, there was a time to take up an offering for the pastor, an offering of appreciation. So the way they approached it was this. They had these baskets up in the front, and everybody stood up, row by row, and you go all the way around the church, and as you pass by that basket, you drop in your, your offering of appreciation. And so I did. I got up. I didn't have to walk very far to get to the basket from where I was, but I put my offering in there, and then I have to go all the way around the church. And when I got to the back of the church, there was a praise team back there, and you've seen them before, Beacon Light. They were here last year. And as I was passing the praise team that was standing up in the back, the littlest one that's part of the praise team said, Mom, it's the pastor. And she broke away from her mom. She ran right up to me, and she gave me this big hug. I'm stooped down there, and she gives me this big hug, and I said, Oh, little girl, God bless you. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. That's thinking kingdomly than beacon light. Twelve years ago, plans were being made for this building that you're in right now. An offering was made to us. Property in Merrillville, where we could build on farmland. Someone was really graciously offering us the opportunity to build our new church and to get out of Black Oak and start new in Maryville, on five acres or so of land, perhaps. I'm not sure about how much it was. Harold, one of our elders, gathered those of us that were on the committee to pray, wanted to know what we thought. The decision was very decisive. We said, we all came to the conclusion after prayer, we cannot go. We have to remain here. 
We're here bringing light and hope to the community. We preach that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. What does it look like to a community to talk about God's love and then up and leave them? Two years ago, a sign, a very nice historical marker was put in front of City Church, the biggest church that the city of Gary has ever had, the most prominent church the city of Gary has ever known, built in 1926. There's a message on both sides of the sign. On one side of the sign, here's what it says. At City Church at 6th and Washington in downtown Gary, Indiana, that massive Gothic structure. Open seven days a week, the church served as a meeting space for many events in the city. Although the congregation remained segregated, the church offered programs for African Americans and for immigrants. Membership peaked in the 1950s, but fell in the 1960s when white residents fled Gary for the suburbs. The church struggled to adapt to the community, but it closed in 1975. The point isn't to turn this sermon into a a justice, social justice thing, although justice is part of what it means to think as kingdom people. But this is a significant component of who we are as people who are God's people, kingdom people, made up of all nations. That's why the sign says, when you walk into the sanctuary, and my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. We're thinking kingdomly. We couldn't leave. Final little story about Beacon Light, and I'll close with this illustration. How do you think kingdomly? Not long after that offering of leaving Black Oak, to go to another place was given to us. A church down in Florida who was going to build a huge building heard about us up here north that we're going to be building a building. That church down there had paid for the superstructure, the skin and the beams of the building. You're sitting in it right now. These beams and the skin were laying in a, near a church down there in Florida. The church decided not to do it And once again, Harold, I mention him, he's not here, so it's, you know, I want you to get an appreciation for why we're praising the Lord here today as well. Harold was offered this building. The trouble is the building that we were going to build was half this size. This is 17,000 square foot. The building we were going to build was 9,000 square foot. The building we were going to build was 15 feet tall. That is 30 feet tall there. The building that we were going to build seemed like it was way beyond our means in some way, that 9,000 square foot building. The original one, that one that was sort of falling apart, was 6,000. We were going to build a 9,000 square foot. And Harold agonized in prayer. Prayer. There were many nights that he struggled to sleep. Should we take the building or not? And there were people who prayed. This was difficult. How can a church that's only got 70 people in it and whose budget at that time was only $70,000 a year, how could we even think to do this? We prayed. And in earnest prayer and fasting, we came to feel that the Lord was calling us to a work here in Black Oak, in the city of Gary, Indiana. And he was pressing us to live by faith. 
This area struggles with, with, with things of beauty. We needed a venue. We need venues in here whereby many churches can come together and congregate and worship together. And God also, we felt, wanted to bring glory to his name. What was impossible with man could be possible with him. He was calling us to a kingdom work and calling us to trust him, and we did. We said yes to the building, to the structure. When Harold fell four years ago on his bike, we had to decide, are we going to continue going? We were far short of having the funds to finish this off. We decided in prayer that God would provide. Many were saying that you shouldn't do that. You should have no debt when you walk into that building. We felt the Lord was, he called us, he was calling to us, and he would provide. We went forward. When we walked into the doors of this place and seated just like you are in March of 2018, we owed $520,000. And as of four days ago, we owe 0.00. That's the kingdom. Salvation from what? From sin, from the body of death, and from the domain of darkness. Verse number 78 says, And all of this is because of the tender mercy of our God. How do we respond to so great a salvation? The Apostle Paul puts it this way. In view of God's tender mercies, offer yourselves as living sacrifice, sacrifices. This is your reasonable act of worship. And don't be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And all God's people said, Amen.